When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue. Uh, thanks for downloading the show. Make sure you've subscribed to the show so that you never miss another episode. You can do that wherever and however you listen to podcasts. Please make sure that you follow us too on Twitter at MCR Footy Social. This is the Manchester Football Social Forever Blue with Ian Cheeseman. So here we are again, once again, talking about a Manchester City victory. This is XS Manchester 106.1 FM. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and next to me is the City legend that is Paul Lake, with another big smile on your face, Lakey. Well, Ian, you know, once again, you know, it, and, and it, it's not boring, by the way, before we say it, once again, like it's a yawn, it's not a yawn, anything but that, but a fabulous, fabulous uh, result again away at West Ham, you know, with a team that I've already been turned over numerous times by City. I've now learned to see what what is coming. You know, lots of goals, lots of creativity. How are you going to combat it? You would have imagined that someone like Manuel Pellegrini, more than most, would have had more of an idea of how to combat City. And yet, even with key players missing, as we know, City still won the game at a canter. I had an interesting experience at West Ham because obviously you'll have been you'll have played there no doubt at Upton Park and yeah. there's a certain atmosphere and a certain I don't know whether when you were a player you were cosseted from that because you'd have been on some posh coach having little volivants or something <laughs> while you were because in those days it would have been volivants wouldn't it uh, going to the game whereas me as a fan I always felt a little bit edgy mm-hmm. a little bit dangerous going to West Ham now it's completely different but I went to to Upton Park before the game um, on Saturday to mm-hmm. sort of see what had become of it and there's flats there and apartment blocks obviously all posh stuff but there's still the supporters club the hammers supporters club there's still the statue that has um bobby moore and martin peters jeff hurst and others uh, there so there's still a little bit of remnants Mm -hmm. and still the market still felt a bit edgy then you go to the new west ham ground all very sanitized all very open the stadium feels completely different the atmosphere feels completely different. I wonder if that helps a club like City playing on a perfect pitch with that more sterile, dare I say, sterile atmosphere of the new West Ham United. Well, you make a good point there, uh, Ian, because like you say, whenever you you go into um, a stadium, over the years, the history of it, 
often you'll you'll go to like say previously to Upton Park or or to any big big club and West Ham are a big big club and you, you get a sense of the legacy of you know, the history of the environment you know and and uh, the atmosphere is usually very very tense and, and and exciting and and it's often hard to recreate that especially in a stadium as big as London Stadium it's a little bit akin to when we first moved into the Etihad there's similar kind of comparisons aren't there really both mm. with the clubs all right, be it now that we're we're on a, a different stratosphere to West Ham, you, you'd argue. But certainly in terms of that move, you know, it's difficult to try and uh, acclimatise and to try to recreate the atmosphere. You never can recreate it. Obviously, the side of the stadium, the actual sound in that stadium, is different again. And and there's obviously going to be a hardcore of West Ham fans that didn't want to move, that aren't happy with the move. So you've got that disgruntlement to begin with. The fact that they've not been winning games, invested a lot of money in the team. You know, all those things combined have meant that really for West Ham to they need to be up or playing electric football in the first 10-15 minutes to really up the ante, so to speak. Otherwise, they're on a sticky wicket. And it's so difficult when, you, when you've got sides like... For instance, Manchester City, who come to the Etihad, dominate. Uh, sorry, come to uh, the stadium, uh, dominate the football. You know they can't get on it. They've got great players who you can see are frustrated. And out of it, he's shrugging his shoulders, swinging his arms around. You've got Antonio that's just not taking chances. He's not an actual finisher. So all those those things combined with City going two goals up after you know nineteen minutes, it's a, you know it's a, just a, uh, an equation there for for the fans to turn and almost a revolt really. And and your heart goes out to West Ham fans because like like you say there, it's so difficult to recreate that passionate atmosphere and they will try and they're giving it a good old go because West Ham fans I think again are quite similar to City fans there's a kindredness yeah. isn't there I mean I talked to some City fans about that actually before before and after the game and for some reason there is that mutual respect I remember City getting relegated at West Ham years and years ago and and even that day rather than it being well this is how I remember it I might might remember it wrong but I don't remember the West Ham fans sort of really having a go at City, they felt like it was a bit of a kindred spirit then. And somebody said to me on, on Saturday something that really struck home with me, which was, there but for the grace of God, that it could have been West Ham. You know, they've just, they've just inherited, shall we say that, the Olympic Stadium. We, City, inherited the Commonwealth Stadium. I know there was a, there's more to it than that. There was a mm. master plan and Franny Lee was involved in it and yeah. Bob Scott. But anyway, City benefited from that. And, of course, it coincided with becoming more attractive to outside owners and the investment that came in from uh, Taksin Shinawatra and then from uh, from the, the current owner, Sheikh Mansur. West Ham haven't got that. So, but, so, so, therefore, I think a lot of City fans look at West Ham and think, that could have been us. Yeah. And West Ham fans look at City and think, you know, good luck to them, because they're like us. That, at least that's the way I felt. I think as well, like you say, is that you know, West Ham have got that, that history you know, a sleeping giant, like I said, the legacy of, of the players that you've already mentioned that, that have graced, you know, uh, Upton Park over the years. And and so you've got um, a kind of a, a almost like a, a a symbiosis between City and West Ham. Great word, of, that, by the way. In, in terms you had of, to think about that one, yeah, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than keep repeating myself. But, you know, in terms of, yeah, the fan base, 
what they're expecting, you know, in the in the shadow of other teams in the in in the city, you know, and and the fact that obviously Chelsea, you know, Arsenal, Tottenham, it's much more difficult for them. So again, they've they've obviously felt that, you know, being and 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 yet I've always known that on the occasion they they can light the spark and really turn it around. And they were hoping with this investment and the players they've got and they've got a very good team at the moment. You'd think that you know they will be able to turn it on and maybe nudge in towards you know towards the top six, and that's the hope. And the, Manuel may still pull that around, you know who knows. But you always want to make your home ground a, uh, a fortress. And sadly, like you say, because of all those things that we've just discussed, you feel that they're never going to truly be able to going to achieve that. I did. I did sense during the game, and 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 obviously I'm in the stadium, and it's different when you're watching a game on TV and when when you actually at the stadium, I did sense that if ever West Ham, they struck the post, of course, at one yeah. point, that if ever they'd actually scored a goal, that there might have suddenly been a, a you know, a, a rising of their fans. And before the game, again, I, I got the feeling that, uh, you know, even being on the underground, because I went to Upton Park on the underground and came back, and while I was on the underground with some of their fans, obviously just quietly minding my own business, I could hear them in the background going, yeah, well, if we keep it down to four today, there was a resignation. And that that then creates a certain mood in the stadium, doesn't it? And I felt that if they'd got a goal, if some bit of magic had happened, if Renatovic had done something, maybe then it, it would have exploded. But at the moment, there's no atmosphere there, is there? No, no. And and you've also got to take into into account the fact that despite knowing how City play and trying to 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 influence the game in a different way to try to uh, adopt a particular press for instance you know city will always find a way around that you know i mean it's taken liverpool have been the closest team to be able to prevent city from really you know igniting that litmus paper because they've got players that have got the quality and the energy and that that level of consistency so they're, that's the one team, really, that are they're in and around us. And, and as we can see by the league table and the results they've got recently, you know, they are a very, very strong side and I believe will take us all the way. But you, you see, you saw the moments in the game against West Ham, but particularly against United in the derby. You know, you, you've talked about before you know, the, the, the 44 passes. But more importantly than that, if you, you wanted to understand the philosophy of Manchester City in one fell swoop, watch that goal. Because the angles that David Silva, Fernandinho, John Stones made during the course of that, that, that progression before Sterling's put in, the ball goes out to, 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 to Bernardo and he whips that ball in for, for Gundogan. You see the angles and players are trying to re- second guess it. They're trying to close it down, but they can't get near. And these are players that have got 50, 60 international caps in Manchester United's team that can't get anywhere the football. So with that in mind, how are the West Ham players going to be able to combat that when you've got still got individual players? It's got to take a really united team, a real togetherness of any team to, to have that desire to, you know, out of possession to win that ball back and, and really almost to, 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 to give in to the fact that, listen, we're going to be chasing this game for 70 plus minutes. So we've got to do that regardless every single time. That's the only way you're going to defeat City or to try and get on a level playing field with City and then hope that City don't take the chances. And you've got you've also got players like Raheem Sterling in particular and Bernardo this season for me have stepped up again, right. which you would think they wouldn't be able to do, but they're still finding a level. And once again, that comes back to you know the coaching staff of Manchester City and obviously most importantly because of Pep Guardiola. You know, you, you, you've absolutely nailed it there. But the one thing that I was, as I was watching the game unfold on, on Saturday, the one thing that really struck me into my mind, and I'm, this has got to be Pep 
but but I don't want to take the credit away from the players, is that decision-making, even in split seconds, you know, especially in the position that I was in at West Ham, because the press box there is very elevated. So you're very far back, actually. But what you do get is you get that overview as if you sat on the third tier in the Etihad. And when you can see that, you can see the game in a different way and... and obviously on the touchline and, and as a player you'd see it slightly differently. But what really impressed me was the decision, the instant decision-making. And it always seemed to be the right decision that mm. every player made. So if there were three options, you in that elevated view, it was it could quite easily see that the best option is probably to do that pass. But lower down and in the heat of the moment, there might appear to be three options and almost every single time, any player on the pitch, and obviously you've got to have a, an equal quality throughout the team which City have got, it always seemed to me that the, the player made the right of those three choices every single time. Yeah. That takes some doing, doesn't it? It does, it does. And also you've got to take into account the fact that every player knows that every player in the team can handle the football That's wherever true. they are on the pitch. Yeah. You know, So again, it's about the weight of pass, the timing of the pass, the angle to, to, to receive the ball your body position to receive the ball and to pass again maybe first time and that weight of pass and that decision making means that you've got three or four patterns of movement which are taking place when a ball's in, in certain areas of the pitch and the players know this time and time again but what's been most impressive for me especially in the game against West Ham aside of the fact that you know Raheem Sterling you know, obviously scored a goal and set up two was his movement his timing of his runs and David Silva how he ghosted into the box for the first goal because you know, it's so difficult when you're trying to keep a line and trying to manage uh, a defensive unit to, to, to pick up individuals especially when they're timing that run at the very last moment and like you say mate it's that it's that last moment decision that seems to be right all of the time and it, it, that goes through hours and hours of, of practice on working together and happy to make mistakes, but also not then stopping and, and shaking your head and, and raising your arms in the air and you know gesturing towards the fans and saying, this pass isn't right, that pass isn't right. David Silver is a key to that. He's world class. But you see, as soon as that ball's given away, he's not pointing the finger and saying that was a rubbish pass. He's, he's back there winning the ball back. And in that split second, he's got two yards back towards the ball. And so has Gundogan, or so has Fernandinho. You know, and they're all working for each other all the time. So they've got that, that, um, that, that obviously, that emergency sort of plan already in place at any given moment. And they're all prepared to do that. So it's expecting the unexpected, despite the fact that they're handling the ball so beautifully. And it, it takes absolute quality in a team to be at their very best to get anywhere near City this season. And that's why the likes of Paul Merson, you know, are saying that they can see City once again going undefeated. And I hate to say that because that sounds so arrogant. And also, you almost don't, don't want to uh, sort of jinx put a curse it. in it and yeah. jinx it. Exactly. <laughs> but you can see why. But for me as well... The mistakes that John Stone and listen, they'll, they'll still make mistakes. No one's perfect, but John Stones is making fewer poor decisions. Laporte is making fewer poor decisions, and they have now taken that to a different level, where Vinnie Company and Otamendi have got to be at their best because that's the standard that young players have set. You know, and it's so so exciting. It's so healthy as well, and it's all managed by the coaching team. Here's a question for you, which is. Almost impossible to answer, so I'm going to throw it at you anyway. <laughs> Somebody said to me at the weekend, Colin Bell or David Silva, which is the best player? And I thought, blimey, I'm not sure I could make that decision, so I'm going to throw it to you, Lakey. Well, one thing I say about Colin Bell, which we do have to take into consideration, is the fact that you know, despite 
the, the surface has been different back in the days of, of, of Colin Bell. Um, what was incredible for me was the fact that a man can come back from such a serious injury and not be able to get full extension on his knee anymore. And yet he can still play at a level and hold a place in the team. You know, carrying an injury. You've heard Sergio talk about the fact that his knees felt the best it's felt because he's had it all done. Well, Colin Bell didn't have that. And yet he still was one of the first ones on the team sheet. So that's very, very impressive. But Colin was a number eight for me all day. And David Silva was a number 10. So I don't think you can really compare the two. But having said that, the influence that David Silva has on a team that is awash with world-class players is still probably the, the most influential. Would Colin be that in this team? I don't know. So it's hard to compare. It's impossible, it's, really, it's hard to, to compare. Answer, it is. It? So if you were going to compare, you know, maybe say um, a Gundogan or a Yaya Torre with a Colin Bell, then you've got more of a picture there. But certainly, different players playing different roles, but equally as impactful. But David Silva in a team full of world class players is is the cream of the crop. That tells you the the comparison of Colin Bell. I, I'd love to be. I mean, you and me are too young to, to do this comparison. Thanks, I'd love mate. to. I'd, well, yeah, you know, we've got to take our credit, haven't we, that we are just youngsters. <laughs> uh, but I'd love to find somebody who watched Eric Brook play regularly yeah. and go, Eric Brook or Sergio Aguero? Mm. But we can't answer that question, can we? No, no. But, you know, you'd love to be able to do that, and people love to do it, but it's cross generational, it's different pitches. I, I think that the football has actually changed now as well, because, not just because of the pitches, but the way that the game is refereed um the speed the athleticism of it all mm. which is on a different level mm. it, so it, it and the fact that the ball's on the ground so much i mean dave ewing who is another uh, old name from from years gone by a lot of younger people might not remember him but he you know andy morrison like to bring it even you know more up to date mm. and i'm not having a go at andy no, by saying that but but you know much more of a you know a big um brave, powerful, sort of old-fashioned centre-half um, or an, an old-fashioned centre-forward. Mm. Uh, Joe Royal, you know, great footballer on the ground, but fantastic in the air. It's as if that era's over now, isn't it? Mm. You know, West Ham had Andy Carroll on the bench. I know he didn't come on, but Andy Carroll was at, at West Ham. He's an, he's a throwback a little bit like that. Football's not played like that, though, anymore, is it? No, it's not, and probably... The- from from City's perspective, the nearest player we've had to that, you probably argue, would have been Edin Dzeko. But again, his feet were fabulous. You know, he really did. You know, he he was he was intelligent. He used the ball beautifully. He had a great touch, great awareness. He could finish either foot. And obviously, he was very good in the air. You know, and and he's doing the same at Roma. And and you know that's that's the quality you've got. What's interesting, and I would love to know this, is maybe if you compare the the fifties, sixties. And maybe seventies to say the to say now from the the noughties onwards, how many headed goals you know have been scored during the course of, of that period of time, and that might be telling mm. as to you know as to you know the, the type of football you go down to the divisions and teams will try and play, but ultimately it still ends up that sometimes you can throw a net and all the players in one position at one time. But the way that the game has gone now, you've also got the fact that these players now are elite athletes. Whereas back in the 70s, 80s, you had the older player who was canny, who was wise, who was cute, 
who could, you know, use the let the ball do the work, but also able to give a bit of a nudge. And, and he was, his positional sense was very, very good. You know, you've got to have that positional sense now, and also be an athlete because the the touch, the awareness, the skill, the movement. I mean, imagine Mick McCarthy playing against Mo Salah. You know, if that ball's in the channel, <laughs> no disrespect to Mick. No, I know what you you're know saying. What I mean? But yeah, he was yeah. canny, he was cute, and he knew how to handle centre-forwards that he played against. But in the, the game now, is, I say, it's so, so different. And, and even, you know, keeping your head, you know, because when I get on the ball, there'd be far more fouls and injuries and that type of thing because that's the, the game is just so, so much more uh, intelligent and, and so much quicker. And, and, the, and the technical football has, has, has improved. You've got to say that, especially in the academies. Now, the academy footballers, technical ability, left foot and right foot, you know, across the Premier League, and I'd suggest some of the championship kids as well, is better than it was in our day. This is a fact. Right, well, we'll get to more from Paul in just a moment or two. We're also going to be speaking to Willie Donachie, who himself, even though he's a left-back, anybody that remembered Willie playing, certainly at his time at City, I always he went on to move to, move to Oldham Athletic and actually played in midfield for Oldham Athletic. So I think, and he's a coach, obviously, these days at Accrington, um, I, I, I think he's going to have an, in, an interesting insight into the way the game has changed. We'll speak to Willie Donachie right after this. So this is XS Manchester 106.1 FM. This is Forever Bluey and Cheeseman and Paul Lake, the uh, city legend, is, is with me here with a smile as big as, uh, what shall we say, the Mersey Tunnel. Thanks what? very much, mate. Is, yeah. is that the right way? Probably anyway, not. so I promised that we'd hear now from uh, from another city legend, Mr. Willie Donachie, who joins us now. And Willie, one of the things I said before the break was that you were a, a very... This is how I perceived you anyway, so you just take this compliment as it is. A very intelligent, thinking footballer. Don't start laughing at me now. I'm telling the truth here. And, and you played at left-back for City, which you were, you were a stylish left-back. You also played for Oldham Athletic and, and went in midfield there and played in a different way again. And I'm suggesting and suggested to Paul before that you would you were the type of clever, intelligent player, now you've gone on to coaching as well, who would have fitted perfectly into what Pep Guardiola does and uh, you know and, and is doing. Do you, do you feel that you would fit into that? Um, well, thanks for the compliment. I'd, I'd like to think so, but for me and um, my generation, we, all, we always felt the game is about good players anyway. And I've heard Pep Guardiola say similar things. You know, they're having success because they've got the best players probably in the world and they're working for each other. And if you can get that, you're going to be successful. Obviously, Pep Guardiola is doing an unbelievable job, but it's based on having fantastic players and that will never change. But the the critics of City, and I've seen something fairly recently along these lines, is that with the money that City have got, you go out, you buy the best 11 players, it's inevitable, in inverted commas, that that means you're successful and you win the league. And of course, nobody's decrying the fact that if you spend a lot of money and buy good players, that's going to give you a very good chance. And you almost can't win the league unless you do that with without the odd blip like Leicester. But... They haven't just if you if you just go out and spend a lot of money for money's sake to buy the perceived best players, that doesn't mean you play like this, does it? No, it's not that simple. I mean, he's he's created a fantastic environment where people, you know, are all all wanting to get better, you know, and want to sustain their success, which is difficult to do because 
once you've had a, a certain level of success, it's easy to get lazy and, you know, give up on it. And, then, and he's keeping it going and it, and it seems to be getting better and better. It's not easy to do that. It's difficult. Um, and I think that's that's what they're after, you know, a real dynasty of success. And eventually, Champions League has got to be the goal. Um, no, it's not easy at all. I, I respect him greatly for what he's done and what he's done at the other clubs as well. It's based on great players, but somebody has to drive that, and he, he's doing that fantastically well. Hi, Willie. Um, it's, it's Paul. Um, I was going to ask Hi, you, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of, obviously, you've you've worked um, uh, at the helm with within a first-team environment on numerous occasions, and mm-hmm. do, do you think it's there's a real art, and, and do you think that, that, it, that, that you can still be genuine when you have a manager like Pep Guardiola who's got, you know, a group of arguably some world-class players and some players are not going to be happy at not playing because they can't all play all the time. In particular, at this moment, you've got Vincent Company, you've got Gabriel Jesus that aren't starting. Gundogan hasn't been starting until more recently. Is it is it difficult to keep all of your players happy all of the time, every single sort of day in, day out? Or, and, and, or, or is, does that become a little bit false for the management to try and maintain that? It's almost impossible to keep them all happy, but that's just the way it is. Um, and he, again, it's back to the environment where they've all got to be together and ready to, to wait and take their chance. It was different when me and you played, Paul. I mean, for us, it was all about playing in the team, and if you weren't in the team, you wanted to go somewhere else, as simple as that. But nowadays... Players seem to be happy to be in a squad and playing out again occasionally. And that, that's one of the ways that the game has changed a bit. And, and when we played, if you weren't in the team, you wanted to move because it was all about playing. Now it seems to be more about groups and teams they talk about. Um, so it, it is difficult, but he, he's got to be very strong. He's in a very strong position when you're successful. It is easier to grow and build when you're successful than if you're at the bottom of the team and struggling. Sorry, bottom of the league and struggling, then it's difficult to build. <clears throat> it's easier to build and keep it going when you're at the top. It's not easy, but it's easier. And also, uh, Willie, you know, you you talk about uh, you know that environment that 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 you you create as a learning environment. You never stop learning, no matter who you are. And no. at, the, at the same time, you have players that. Um, well, obviously, have their own disagreements around certain things. But what I wanted to talk about was around um, back in our day. You know, if your player wasn't playing regularly or they they had an injury, come back from injury, you always had a couple of reserve games or as as it is today, twenty threes games. But at the top top flight, you find that players are coming back from injury and going straight into the team. Have you got any concerns about that? Uh, not really, because I mean they've got. You know, as you know, enormous teams of rehab people, and so I'm sure they they've tested them. They're, they make sure they're back up to their full fitness before they play in the team. They won't they won't let them back in. I mean, my son's involved at Everton. I think you know, on the medical side, and in the in the, the preparation for the players going back to play, you know, they're, they're really well tested. They they won't play them unless unless they're ready. And they've got, as you know, sports scientists, analysts, doctors, all sorts behind them that we didn't have. 
So they're, they're well prepared when they come back. I'm not concerned about that at all. We talked, uh, Paul and I, before, well, I certainly mentioned about decision-making uh, as being a key part of what City's team does at the moment. And I wondered and assume that most of that is because of Pep, although I don't want to take any of the credit away from the players. As a coach and as a player who played, I think, in a very intelligent way when you were a player, how much of that comes from you and how much can you be taught about decision-making, especially when it happens in a split second? Uh, (laughs) Really good question. I I mean, I think... What we were taught was the first thing you see is usually the best thing. And the other, the other part of it is before the ball comes, you need to know what you're going to do with the ball. You don't you don't control the ball and make a decision. So when you're playing like that, you're sort of in a flow state where you're just you're just completely in the game and you're in the flow of the, the movement of the game. And then the very, very best players they just when they're in that position, then they create something unexpected. So up to a certain point, you can help with decision making. But at the very top, it's got to be creative. That that's the beauty of the game, where Aguero or Silva or somebody just does something off the cuff that people other people can't do. That that's what I, I want, that's what I go to watch football for. You know, I'd go and see Messi every day because I'm expecting something something I've not seen before or something different and you can tell when it's in that place where it's just a creative place it's not mechanical it's just in that full state that you understand Paul you've been there yeah. um, so it's partly partly prepared but hopefully it's creative and, and instinctive in, in the game in the moment Basically, given that I'm given, too stupid. Well, given Sorry. that I haven't got the expertise that either of you two have got, the simple way in my mind that I translate this is that I, when I, what I'm observing at the moment, there's a lot of people use this tick attacker thing to describe what Pep does because of the incessant passing, which we know led to a goal after 44 passes mm-hmm. against United. But mm-hmm. to me, it's. What I observe is it's a bit like watching a team on an ice-bound pitch who somebody said to them, you know, make sure that you the way you're facing, if you can, is the way that you play it. And that way you don't lose possession, you keep possession. And those flicks and that creativity that you're talking about then comes in the moments when you're really confident, you know, where everybody is around you and you can make that pass flawlessly, even though it's a clever pass. But when you haven't got that on and you're not aware of it, just play play the simple one all the time. Am I a million miles away by looking at it that way? No, no, no. I, th- I think as well, it's, you know, it's always best to play as simple as possible. That That's the game, but... It, it's all like you're playing you're playing in midfield and somebody closes you down. You have to have the ability to get out of trouble, make a move, a turn, or go past the player. And that's where you've got to be creative and in the moment and see what's what needs to be done in that second, that split second. So it's simple, simple, simple. And then when you have to do something creative, you've got the ability to do it, the vision and awareness and technical ability to do it. So, and that, and that will never really change. I mean, all, all the best players all the time. I mean, Messi most of the time plays one and two touch, and then when it's on, 
you know, go on a run, beat three or four players and score a great goal. And, you know, that doesn't really change. You, you, you understand that. You've done that. You play simple. And then when it's on, you, you're creative when you have to be. Because because it's not... It's being unselfish. It's whatever is good for the team. And if it's being simple, simple, dominating the other team by demoralising them by possession. You know, like the United game. I mean, to play in that United team and just chase the ball, it is mentally draining, emotionally draining. And then to get the goal at the end of it, it's a killer. So, so um, it's, for me, that's just perfect football. Well, you know, Willie, as well, we, we talked uh, uh, with a, a few of my ex-teammates a while ago, and what we were saying was that with this Man City team, what, what you find is that back in, our, back in our day, and obviously in your day, where there was always one or two players in the team, no matter whether you were winning the game, losing the game, it was a war of attrition. You still have yeah. one or two players that would always want the ball wherever they were on the pitch. It wouldn't matter. You know, yeah. what they'd always want it. But you feel yeah. as though with this team, every single player Even always Edison. wants it. Even Edison. Even Edison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the best, he's the best player. Um, no, I mean, the, be- the best teams are always like that. And you, 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 I can't understand a player playing on the pitch who doesn't want the ball. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's just some, the best teams have 11, as you say, who are all desperate for the ball, all want to, be, all want to play. They're all available all the time. But it's the lesser teams, you do see people that aren't that confident, don't really want the ball so much. But, yeah, that's that's part of buying the best and, and recruiting the best players, which is a massive part of the game. Re- recruitment's massive. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> well, Willie, one more question I wanted to ask you, pal, was, was just around, you know, you've obviously seen different managers try to compete and combat, you know, Pep Guardiola's philosophy. <coughs> But have, have you, have you cause obviously you've, you'll have watched, like all of us, lots of football and trying to second-guess it from the opponent's point of view. But is is there any is there any any format? Liverpool seem to be quite successful in trying to compete with City and have done yeah. so. But is there is there a, a press? Is there a formation? Is there anything that you've seen that you'd feel would be more in tune to try to you know, negate the qualities that City have? Well, obviously, there's there's only there's two ways. You try to press them, try to match them, or you you drop right off and try to, <laughs> try to get something on the break like Man United did. But personally, I, I think in the British mentality, it's to have a go at teams, get stuck into them. And, you know, like we, we were always told, you'd be told, you might as well lose 5-0 as 1-0, but have a go at them. And the, and the fans want to see you having a go at least. You know, if you lose, at least have a battle. And uh, So that would be my way. It'd be very, very difficult because they're so good. But personally, I'd, I'd play like three three defenders, so you've always got spare people at the back. It's hard for Man City to hit you on the break with their pace. But the rest of the team get stuck right into them and put them under pressure. Nobody likes to be put under pressure. John Stones and everybody who are great on the ball still don't like pressure and you can still make mistakes, get them to make mistakes if you really believe in it. So, <laughs> that's what I would do. Not easy though, is it? Uh, Willie, <laughs> Willie, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and we'll speak to you again soon.
Cheers, Willie. Take care. Thank the one and only Willie Donnick here. Next up, we're going to speak to another former City player, Dave Bennett. So this is XS Manchester 106.1 FM. This is Forever Blue. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Paul Lake, the City legend, is with me in the studio. We already talked to Willie Donachie. And if you missed a bit of the programme and you're thinking, oh, I wish I'd listened to Willie, that sounds as if it might have been interesting. You can download XS Manchester's uh, football social all week, actually, five days a week. Uh, as a podcast, so I will tweet out the link a little bit later on. If you download the Excess Manchester app, which is free, you get links to all of the different podcasts. So obviously you can, you, tomorrow for example, uh, the Wednesday Club, you'll be able to download that as well. And there are all sorts of things throughout the week, so just bear that in mind. But I will tweet out the link a little bit later on. In fact, we're going to speak to Dave Bennett, another former City player. One quick thing that I wanted to throw at you, Lake, is that there are rumours, and they are only rumours, of City potentially having a London base, a London training ground. What, what do you what do you make of that? I mean, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, on the one hand, you can say it's innovative. Uh, certainly a club like City that's so forward-thinking that they would have this in the back of their minds and, and, and it would make sense to them. You can almost equate it to uh, individual sports like tennis, for instance, where, uh, where players may have uh, different training grounds. They're trying to acclimatise to the environment you know, in a different way by lots of hours you know, in a particular place. But I, I certainly think that it's, um, it's something which will be challenged by other clubs and maybe cynical about the reason, the real, the real reasons behind you know, moving a training ground somewhere else. But again, it's it's the nature of football is changing all the time, and and certainly if any club's going to be groundbreaking, it's going to be Manchester City. Well, arguably they had a training ground at West Ham at the weekend because that felt like a training game, and uh, and certainly there's, there's I know there's one in Abu Dhabi. I was lucky enough to fly out to Abu Dhabi a few years ago, and I saw some pictures of them recently. Can't remember when it was exactly, but on that training pitch, I thought, yes, that City's training pitch. It's the same, isn't well, it? Well, you could also imagine they've got training pitches over in New York and Melbourne too. So <laughs> yeah, go, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's talk to a, another former City player, another uh, a man who who did very well in London, actually, a cup winner for. Uh, Coventry City and played in the 81 Cup Final uh, for City as well. Dave Bennett, who's always good value. Hi, Dave, you all right? Hello, mate, how are you? Not too bad. Are you enjoying watching City at the moment? Yeah, they're doing very well. It's, it's interesting because obviously playing on the wing and it's great to see when the left winger crosses the ball, you've got the right winger coming in to, uh, to score and vice versa. It's, it's great to see, you know, for young lads to see that uh, with the balls on the left, you can get in at the far post. The awareness to do that, that obviously, again, talking about, we were talking about passing and decision-making earlier on, has to come from Pep, doesn't it? He's coaching his wingers to come in and make those positions. Yeah, but we, we, we were brought up on that, you know. If if, uh, if you can get in at the far post, don't you want to score? Get in there, you know. The worst thing you can see is when you're stuck out wide and uh, the ball comes over and you think, take that gamble, anticipate. You know, that's your idea. Uh, if the ball goes down the left, you can try and get in at the far post because sometimes your centre-forward might not be there. So you have to be acting as a centre-forward. So it's a great learning curve and it's a great, uh, uh, like you say, coaching method for young players and uh, players today. You played everywhere, Lakey. You you were Mr. Not versatile. Well, yeah, you were versatile, but that almost... When I've talked to Ian Brightwell about this, it's as if you, you're decrying somebody by saying you were versatile. Yeah. You could play anywhere, and you, you, you'd you want to be coming in at the far post in this team, wouldn't you? Well, of course. I mean, as, as Benno will know, I mean, uh, 
an easy tapping, you know, get your goal scoring to 10 goals per season by literally a, a five yard or three yard tapping is something that why wouldn't you do? And uh, I, but no, I was just going to say, um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you in terms of being a, you know, a natural wide player. I, I, I played in the wide areas at times when I was asked to because it was injuries, usually on a Friday afternoon when I was, I was leaving the training ground. Uh, real preparation there, a bit like Pep, not. But, um, but, how do you feel when you see, like, for instance, you look at Riyad Mahrez, you look at uh, Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sané, their heels are on the chalk. They, they, they can see the whole pitch. Did, did you feel that that's how you really wanted to play? And, and, and you know, that, that the intelligence of that, do you see what I mean? Yeah, well, that's what I was taught. Because um, when when uh, I was playing, uh, growing up and being taught and playing for Manchester City, I used to play down the middle. And don't forget, they used to have uh, getting kicked down the middle because I was tackling from behind. So he was getting injured. And then I moved to Cardiff and the lad moved me out wide. So I could see the tackles coming in and see these lads coming in. And they used to get my heels wide. So I would widen the old picture. Because I played down the middle, it was natural for me to, if the ball went down the right, I would be attacking it in the middle because I was growing up on that. But it's, it's, a, it's a natural progression that if you if the ball does go down, you want to get in the middle. You've got to get in the middle because sometimes other players can't make it. Just like when you have great midfield players like the Robsons and Gerrard, they're always arriving in the middle. They want to get in there. Lampard, they score goals just like yourself. When you've got the ball, and you know the ball's going in there. You've got the license to go in and get there because if you don't, you'll be getting cursed yourself. Plus, the manager and the coaching staff will be cursing you because you could have gone in there. Well, it's funny, Benno. Like you say, you know, I listened to a comment made by you know a legend of a footballer in Chris Waddle. But Chris Waddle said that if he was playing in Man City's team, he'd be scoring twenty plus goals a season every season. But I disagree with that. Because I feel that the, the, the amount of work that you have to undertake, i.e. Raheem Sterling, the amount of runs and the speed and the pace and the timing and that consistency you know, of, of, of wanting to get to the far post time and time again is something that Chris Waddle wouldn't have wanted to do. So there has to be a real hunger in that. Do, do you feel that, that, that wide players are being coached differently now? Yes, well, you, you, you see why players now, they cost that much money if you can beat a play. You don't see that now, players taking their players on. And Man City, you, you, I could name how many teams have won the, the, the Premiership now without wingers. You know, you've got Yazard, you've got the Man City pair, you've got uh, with Man United, they had pairs of wingers. And you're seeing it's, it's, it's a growing trend. But we're losing that growing trend because you haven't got players taking on beating players. And now they're, they're worth their money in gold. But it's funny because, like you say there, you look at how teams set up as well. It's it's so much more difficult. We just spoken to Willie Donnerkin. He was saying about how to combat City would be either you know a, a high press or it would be just sitting really really deep and trying to hit on the counter attack. When you have players with bodies, where you've got you know sort of a line of a four. The amount of times we've seen the Etihad has been a, a line of a five and a four or a four and a five, even a five and a five behind the ball with no space to play into between the lines. It's so much more difficult for players to try and get at someone because they've got to beat one, they've got to beat two, they've got to beat three in quick succession because there's no space to play into. Is, is that an argument for it or against it? Yeah, but that's why they've got players in the wide plays. They move it so that they can get one-on-one, you know, so they can get one-on-one and take them on. And they've got that stability. They, they trust the players with the ball and 
they'll they'll go and have a go at them. If they can't go in that channel, they'll come out and go the other channel, and then they'll try and work it that they get one on one, and they'll they'll encourage that to have a go at them because you've got to have keys to unlock defences. And the way they're doing now, if we haven't got these keys to unlock defences, we'll be just ending up with nil nil, and you know the skill will be gone out of the game. Given that you're obviously in the wingers' union, Dave, um, I'm going to. Uh, this will be interesting to see who you go for here. But who's City's key player at the moment? Who's City's best player? <laughs> it's a team game. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. You know, it's, it's a team game. And if everyone's doing the job, like you say, it's great for any coaching manual like Saturday you watch against West Ham uh, the left winger go crossing the ball and the right winger going in and yet Pep weren't happy with the way they played so it's, it's, it's a team game at the end of the day you're only as good as your partner you, you trust him hopefully he trusts you and if he does well you'll do well I love the fact that the debate at the moment is I, I, I saw, saw something on social media only this morning where somebody said um, Raheem Sterling's got to be way out in front now for contender for player of the year I'm thinking it's Bernardo Silva I bet if I asked you two starting with you Lake who's been your player of the year so far you may pick one of those two but you could just as easily pick somebody else couldn't you yeah you could quite easily pick John Stones Laporte you could pick uh, David Silva again so yeah I mean it's so so difficult so many players are at that level but like we were saying before and this is something Benno which you look at teams where there's always one player that you felt would always step up and be that player in, in United teams of past, Arsenal teams and Chelsea teams. But it feels like this season in particular, you know, Raheem Sterling, as an example, has managed to find another level of consistency and quality, which you didn't think that he really had in his locker. Yeah, that's right. But uh, if, if you're going to go on consistency and uh, he's a young lad, he's learning, David Silva's got to be up there. Each season, he's playing, they're calling the magician. He's been absolutely magnificent, especially when you're losing Kevin De Bruyne. He stepped into that, that uh, mould that we all knew he had, but now he's scoring goals with it. With every 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 game, he's scored four or five games uh, on the trot now, and he's getting important goals, which are setting up the other players and they're giving them confidence. I think if he was to look at one player, I think he's standing out miles and miles ahead of him at the moment because not only he's creating chances, he's scoring them too. Well, you know what, Benno, as well, I mean, what was a fascinating comment made by Didier Drogba, of all people, and again, a world-class player. I'm not knocking him as a footballer, but his opinion was that if Mourinho was at the helm of Manchester City, they'd have won, they'd have won two league titles. But like you just said, that players have got to have the skill to take players on, to unlock defences, having those keys. But you'd argue that Man United have got the quality of players that should have the keys to unlock defences, and yet they're not able to do it. Whereas Pep Guardiola and the players that he's got you know, you can argue that have have found different keys. I've almost got a Swiss Army knife of keys to be able to unlock any defence at any given time. Do you feel as though Mourinho could do the same job that Pep Guardiola is doing at City? No, he, he sets his team up completely different to the way uh, Pep sets his team up. And you, uh, like Saturday was a great example against West Ham. He says uh, he's not happy with the way they play, but the players are going out and doing it. If they don't do it, they've got someone else in that same position. If he doesn't do it this week, he's out next week. So the pressure's on him in more ways than one and saying that, yeah, you're not guaranteed a place. Well, it's, it's certainly good to watch at the moment. I mean, I... 
the, the one fear I have <laughs> is that this is as good as it can get, and the only way after this is down. I'm not. I'm, I don't mean that to sound a negative thing, but when you're watching this dream football, and it is dream football, which is so dominant of most teams that they play. I mean, obviously against Leon on the Champions League, they lost at home. It could be you know a different result in the in the away game, but. Still, against most teams, it is absolutely dream football. Do you, yeah, you, do you worry it'll all end? So I do. <laughs> no, well, like Paul will tell you, if you're going to play football and lose, you're going to want to lose the right way. And there's right ways of losing, there's wrong ways of losing. And at the moment, he's playing football and trying to score goals, and that's the right way of losing. You know, you go out and have, you have a goal, and you're going to lose games like that because teams are going to get lucky, they're going to bank uh, teams are four behind you and might eat you on the break which a lot of teams are trying to do now because uh, Man City have so much possession but they're trying to win the game playing the right way and if they're trying to win the game playing the right way you'll go with that yeah absolutely well great always nice to speak to you Dave um, I, I think you'd have been alright in this team with your movement and your wing play uh, yeah it would, it, would, it would have been nice it's just that hopefully they can understand the, uh, our Mancunian accent <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure to speak to you, Dave. Thank you very much. Cheers, Benno. Okay, cheers, mate. So that's just about it. Um, XS Manchester, 106.1 FM. I'm back tomorrow with, uh, as part anyway, of the Wednesday Club. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, I'm expecting City to, to win tonight in Leon. I know it's a, it's a tricky one, but if they win tonight, they win the group, and that takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. And again, it's interesting because there's one or two players that have, that have been linked with City since that performance, that Nondembele is a, is a player which you could argue may be the Fernandinho of a, of a few years to come. So for different reasons, you're watching that team and watching the game. But ultimately, you feel that City are far more settled now, are far more consistent. And once again, are going to have too much effort for them. Absolutely. Well, we saw what happened with uh, Monaco when City played another French team. Mendy and uh, Bernardo Silva came over. Who knows? Maybe I'll watch it in a different way tonight. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Cheers, Lakey. Cheers, mate. And uh, I'm back tomorrow as part of the Wednesday Club. See you then. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or however you listen to the podcast. Search Manchester Football Social and click subscribe. And there's a new podcast out every weekday. So come back soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.